This is Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast for you, the entrepreneur, to learn valuable lessons from the experiences of fellow business owners sharing the secrets of their success and the critical lessons they have learned along the way, as well as experts giving their advice on how to navigate the pitfalls in their industry to help you better run your business. Here's your host, Brian Harding. Hey now, and good day. Thanks for stopping by to check out our podcast again. And uh, as always, uh, if you like what you hear, don't be afraid to tell somebody about it. You can subscribe, and the the podcast will pop up every week for you on whatever platform you're listening to. You can share them, you can rate and review them, all that good stuff. And you can find me at growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. And you can contact me via email at brian at brianlharding.com. If you have questions you want me to start asking, if you want to be a guest, if you know somebody who'd be a, a good guest, um, if you have any other kind of questions, I'll just reach out whenever you want. Today, we're very fortunate. We've got Travis Dagel with us. Um, Travis is, a, is a, a professional speaker and all kinds of other good stuff we're going to get into. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Travis. Uh, through speaking and writing, Travis Dagel shares lessons learned from overcoming a past of abuse, obesity, and debt. Challenging himself as a former engineer and special operations soldier, and presently working to become a day trader in the stock market and a mixed martial arts fighter. How about that? His hope is that his journey helps others meet challenges with determination to adapt and overcome. One of my favorite sayings. You can find him at Travis Daigle, which is spelled D-A-I-G-L-E dot com, or Travis at TravisDaigle.com. Welcome, Travis. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh uh, thanks for spelling my last name too, because people get that. Yeah, uh, struggle yeah. Struggle with that yeah, one. Yeah, you get one of those. You get one of the one of those names, right? One of those weird names. Yeah. Man. So uh, hey, thanks for coming in. I really appreciate it. I think we're gonna have a lot Thank of fun today. For so, me, so for folks who don't know yet, tell us how you got started. What 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 gets you to the point in life where you're you're here now as a paid professional speaker and you got a great story to tell. You got you've had a lot to overcome, but just take us through it, man. Well. Uh, Uh, Like you said in the intro there, I grew up kind of the, I guess my, you know, if I had a hero origin story, if you will, uh, that started uh, in my childhood. uh, And the kind of the biggest challenge that I faced growing up was being an overweight kid and uh, dealing with a lot of teasing and bullying at school. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and there were other things going on in life as well. Like I said, there was some some abuse at home um, and just some... uh, yeah, some some other significant struggles as well. And, and for those listening who can't see you, you're you're running around, walking around. You're probably about four percent body fat now. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pretty lean guy. Pre- yeah. Pre- pre- yeah, pretty fit. Yeah, yeah, I'm a pretty fit guy. Yeah. So um, to, to, to hear you talk about being a, a chubby kid is is kind of hard for one to imagine. Right. It's a little ironic, right? Um, but uh, yeah, it's so that uh, at my heaviest, I was 300 pounds at 17 years old, uh, over 300 pounds, and I, that was right around my senior year of high school. And I had uh, spent, I don't know, man, the better part of seven or eight years at that point uh, really trying different ways to lose weight. I'd made this decision when I was 10 years old uh, based off of a couple of incidents that had happened at school. Um, I, me and my family had moved from Houston, Texas, my mother and I, from Houston, Texas to Birmingham, Alabama with my stepfather. Um, uh, and when I started the fifth grade there in Birmingham, um, there was just a, I'd, I'd been teased for as long as I could remember at that point. And I was 10 years old at that point. And, but when we made that move and we moved in and I moved into this new school system, um, the, I don't know if it's just moving into that middle school age or what it was, but it, the sharpness of the, the teasing and the comments from right. the other kids was just, I mean, it intensified big right. time. 
And, and you're the new kid. You're an easy target. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so I would, I, I just remember thinking, man, I, I remember it's pretty, I remember thinking the, the, the linchpin was I realized in my head that there really wasn't much that the adults in my life could do about it. Um, you know, my parents couldn't be with me 24 seven. The teachers wouldn't be able to see every single right. minute of every day at school. And so at some point I was going to have to begin to really get proactive about changing the situation if I wanted it to change. Right. And so I just, I started working out when I was 10, I begged my mom to give me one of those little cheap weight sets from Walmart. Yep. And I just started getting busy and testing things out and trying to figure it out on my own. And I struggled with that, obviously, because I just kept getting heavier. I got stronger, uh, but I just kept getting heavier. And I think a lot of that had to do with I was using food to self-medicate. Yeah. Um, And I didn't realize uh, that, you know, so much of my diet needed to change. And it's the South, you know. Yeah. I mean, man, I mean, the (laughs) food's rich and and it's part of the culture, uh, certainly in African-American culture um, as well. Um, So, uh, you know, I struggled and struggled. And eventually... Uh, when I turned 18, um, I was able to figure it out and I was able to finally make some changes to my dietary habits because transitioning out of high school, you know, and again, I don't know if it's because we're getting older at this point. I just wasn't dealing with as much teasing and bullying because I wasn't at school as often. I was ahead in my course credits. Uh, I had some money in my pocket because I was working part time mm-hmm. so I could start controlling the the food consumption. I could start buying my own food, right. which means I could make better choices. Um, and so the combination of less stress and more control over my time and having money to buy my own food led to me being able to lose a bunch of weight before going off to college. Right. And it was in that time frame, you know, I lost about 80 pounds before heading off to college, like 80 pounds in eight months. And it was the most cathartic experience, maybe still to date that I've ever gone through where you, 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 you got this massive uh, object in front of you, you pushing and pushing the obstacle in front of you and you're trying to get around it forever. And it seems, it, it seems impossible at times often. I mean, I right. often thought that I would never figure it out because right. I, I, it just wasn't happening. And, uh, for it to like in that wave like that, for that weight to just melt off of my body, I, you know, and I told you this before, like I said to myself, man, if I could figure out a way to give this feeling and give this experience to other people, I would, I'd bottle right. up and give it to people. Right. Um, and so I told myself that and I started to, and of course, you know, doing all the exercise and I was doing, I was like, you know, maybe one day I'll personal train, yada, yada, yada. But, it, but I decided I'd always decided that I was going to go be an engineer in school. And so I went off to college and I majored in electrical engineering um, and kind of long story short there. I graduated, did well, uh, but I hated it. I started working for uh, Shell Oil and Gas in Houston, Texas there. Um, and you know, not that engineering is bad, but it just wasn't for me. Right. Uh, got massively depressed, uh, at the time when I started working as an engineer in 2005, I weighed about 200 pounds. And in that year uh, of working, I gained about 30 or 40 pounds. I started eating fast food for almost every meal of the day, stopped working out totally. Um, and there came a point actually where I was waking up every morning and I was having chest pain. Now, I was 23 years old at the time, and I was thinking to myself, like, man, chest pain at 23 years old? Yeah, that ain't good. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what, man, I, I got to get out of here. And what I knew was going to happen at the time was everybody in the world was going to think I was a fool. Because, right. I mean, I was making 60 grand a year, fresh out of college, 
I had done the thing. Right. right. I had done the thing that everybody says you're supposed to do. I got the good job, yeah. all that stuff. And uh, and so when I made that decision to walk away, I had to give up a car for repossession. Still had my student loans uh, to take care of. I had about 20 grand in student loans, which is, which is minuscule right. compared to what uh, kids nowadays have. Um, and had to give up this car for repossession. I, I had some credit card debt because I, right after I quit the job, I um, I noticed I realized I hadn't been to the dentist in forever, and uh, my my girlfriend at the time uh, she was like, "You got to go to the dentist," and I was like, "Okay." So I go, and my wisdom teeth are rotting in the back of my mouth. Right. And the dentist is like, you got to get that crap out of the back of your mouth, or this is going to be really bad. Right. Well, I don't have any money. I don't have any insurance. So I swiped the credit card to get the $6,000 oral surgery that I needed. Um, and, uh, and of course, I didn't have the money to pay that back immediately, and so the fees racked up. And so I ended up having like a $20,000 credit card bill. Um, and so I had all this debt on me. I had no job. And no desire to go back to any sort of job that lent itself to the skills that I had learned in uh, engineering school. Right. Um, and, and just kind of a, a side note on that is it, it, an undergraduate degree in engineering, it may be different now. I don't know. But it didn't give me like a lot of practical skills. So I couldn't come wire your house or work on the lines, you know, like the linemen do right. on power lines and so on and so forth. And so all it meant was, like, I could get another desk job, basically. And that's what the part that was killing me about that job. It was just so much time at a desk. And um, and so I was struggling to figure out what to do next. I got all this debt on my back. Um, I got back in shape after I quit the job. Mm-hmm. Initially, I tried personal training because, you know, obviously I had a passion for it always. Right. But you need time. This is a business podcast. You need time to get clients and build that clientele to have decent cash flow. Right. And I didn't have that time. And the creditors were calling me every day and I was getting evicted from my apartment and all these different things. Man. And so I was like, my, my life had just kind of been flipped upside down. And um, I was like, man, what do I do? Because I can't go back to desk job, but I don't have any skills to do some of these other physical things. And, and all I wanted was to do something that was more physical, um, that, that, challenged me in a holistic way, mind, body, soul kind of way, Mm -hmm. and that I felt had significant purpose. And so as I thought and I thought, it was 2007, and I said to myself, well, what about joining the military? Something that I had sworn off when I... And how old are you at this point? At this point, I'm 25. Okay. And I'd sworn off the military when I graduated high school. I had an ROTC instructor who tried to encourage me to apply to West Point, and I was like, absolutely not, because nobody's going to tell me what to do. Forget you. (laughs) Um... You know, I'm done being talked about and bullied, and I'm done being told what to do. I'm right. out of here. You know right. what I mean? And so, um, but so I ended up looking into it, and I thought, and my idea was, and and I'm a real as as an engineer, even though I don't do that anymore, I I think very tac- tactically and strategically sure. and analytically. And so my head, my thought process was, yes, I want purpose, but I also need to be able to pay off my debt. So I need income. Right. And if I want to get into personal training, if I can pick some kind of job specialty in the military that will teach me things about the human body, then okay, win, win. Right. Um, And so I was thinking medic, be a medic on the battlefield. You'll learn about the human body. Obviously I'll have an income and you know, I'll be able to serve people in a real tangible way. Sure. And uh, when I went to the recruiter's office, my thought process was I'll be a regular medic. Um, And when I went to the recruiter's office and he learned about my background, he says, 
you know, you like working out. You seem like a smart guy. You got an engineering degree. Have you ever thought about going into special forces? And I says, well, you know, I didn't think you could do something like that off the street. Right. Um, and I was also like, I don't know how to swim. Don't you need to know how to swim to be a Green Beret? And he's like, well, yeah, but they'll teach you how to swim in, in basic training, right. which ultimately ended up being a lot. Right. Um, what? Know. A recruiter lied to somebody? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Me. You know. Uh, Hope they find that guy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, I, uh, what's interesting about that is, um, I wanted to, uh, I, in, in all of these things, what, what I found is I'm, I'm, I'm the first. So in my family, a lot, lots of people are overweight in my family and people don't seem to struggle to figure out that problem. Right. Um, I was a first generation college student, so I was the first in my family to go to college and finish college and that, you know, and, and, you know, getting an engineering degree was pretty significant. Um, you know, and then now going off into the military, same thing. I was the first person in my family, uh, my immediate family to do that. I had a couple of uncles who served in uh, Vietnam, but nothing, nothing like what I was signing up to do. Uh, so there was a lot of, in all these situations, there were things that I didn't know at all and didn't have anybody to tap into to find them out. So right. to the point of the recruiter, you know, I mean, it's it's very ridiculous to look back at now. Like, you didn't know he was lying to you? Come on, man. <laughs> right. But at the time, I was just, an, you know, I wasn't a kid, but I was naive. I had no right. idea. And, you know, so when I talk about adapting and overcoming, like, th these, these, uh, these unknowns, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Like the ability to engage that part of life and just and hit it and just say, OK, let's start solving this problem. Let's not waste any time being disappointed, frustrated, whatever the case may be. Let's start ticking through this problem. So so anyway, I I go in, I sign up and basically you could try out for special forces because you got to make it through the pipeline. Obviously, right. if you wash out, you would just you would go to a regular infantry unit. Um, and so I thought about it. I says, hey, man, you know, I sat down with myself and I says, this is. This is dangerous, and because you don't possess certain abilities, like you're not the most athletic person in the world, uh, you don't know how to swim, um, so on and so forth, it's highly likely that you you won't pass this. And, I, and this is me talking to myself. Right. And I says, are, you know, and I ask myself, you know, are you ready for the ramifications of this? Are you ready for, you know, if you go overseas, you know, you get captured, killed, tortured, so on and so forth. Right. I thought about all the worst-case scenarios. And everything in me wanted to do it. And so I says, okay, let's go for it. Did you, did you, at that time, did you have an understanding of what, what it meant to, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are, but mm -hmm. it's, I'm guessing it's less than 2% that are in special forces, 1%, half a percent, whatever it is that mm -hmm. are in the special forces in, in the military. Mm -hmm. There's, there's obviously some adversity you get to overcome there. Right. Here's a guy who can barely control his weight, has all kinds of debt, can't, can't find a job that, that suits his needs. Uh, is getting evicted from his apartment. Mm -hmm. uh, life is telling you loud and clear, you ain't got this figured out and you don't have the ability to do a whole lot. Right. Uh, how, first of all, did you understand what you were saying you wanted to do? And, and did you understand that those the thought of becoming a special forces guy in your situation at the time didn't make a lot of sense? I, I think for me, I think for me, I just knew. I knew I had done like several hard things uh, in life at that point. Mm -hmm. And, and so for me, it was like a, like I said, it was a real tactical decision. I just thought about it very practically. Everything in me desired to give this a try. Right. And, and I, and I says to myself, okay, 
if you go with something you are intrinsically motivated by and seems to inspire you, how much more will you get out of yourself versus going the safe route right. that's paying you some money right now? Sure. Because I actually, I before making the decision to look at the military, I actually found another engineering job and started working again. Okay. And I did it for, and I made it three weeks. And I was <laughs> like, okay, man, like, I think it's official. This yeah. is not going to work. Right. Um, and... What that what that scenario showed to me is, man, stop torturing your, torturing yourself. Because what what engineering school had been engineering school was not fun at all. It was it was I hated it. It was horrible. But I just had it stuck in my mind that I had that I had to do this because you got to get the good job and you got to right. get the good degree. And so I thought to myself, if I could endure five years of like utter misery doing something I hated doing, what could I do if I found something that I actually liked? Doing? Right, right, right. You know, if I could endure a whole childhood of like going to school every day, getting teased, bullied, picked on, and go to still go to school every day, not skip school. I never complained to my parents about it. I never griped to the teachers about it. I just kept going and kept pushing. If yeah. I could do that, maybe I'm good at doing hard things. Yeah, or you're stubborn. Uh, yeah, yeah, or I'm just a <laughs> rocket, you know, one, one of the two. Right. Uh, maybe a combination of both, right. uh, probably. Yeah. And so I figured you probably need a little bit of dogged stubbornness to get through this because sure. one of the things that the recruiter said is he said you know the key to this is just you just don't quit and when he said that i was like okay yeah all day yeah, yeah you know now in my head i was like it's probably a little bit more than right. just not quitting i mean you probably got to kind of be a stud athlete yada, right. yada yada so i had and and then when i ended up going actually going through the training no, he was right. It was really about not quitting. I mean, I saw people who had been former collegiate athletes walk away. No kidding. Uh, because, you know, it was about being able to tough out something that sucked. Right. And and, and kind of as I went through it, I was like, man, like, I can do this. Like, this isn't even that bad. Like, you think this sucks? You're like, you know, because yeah. you got instructors screaming and yelling at you. And right. I'm thinking to myself, man, is that all you got? It's Right. Yeah. I was trained for this in seventh yeah, grade. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I was like, this is nothing, man. You know, and what was cool about the experience of what of enlisting was there were some things that I didn't know, some perks that came with enlisting in a combat job that I mean they make sense in hindsight, but at the time I wasn't thinking about them. I just wanted to go give this special forces thing a try. Right. Um one of the things was that you instead of I, that I didn't know is I knew a lot of soldiers went back to school and the army paid for it, which I wasn't necessarily interested in at this point. But I was like, OK, whatever. Maybe I'll go back and get an exercise science degree right. or something like that. But I didn't know that they that at the time you had the option of they would repay your student loans or you could get the GI Bill. Oh, wow. So at the time of signing my contract, they throw that in front of me and I'm like, I'll take the student loan. Yeah. Payment, never yeah. mind the GI Bill. Yeah. And so and then. The other thing that I didn't know about was they were giving out bonuses for people who were signing up for combat jobs. And so my student loans were about $20,000, so that left about forty grand of, of debt that I had. And right as I'm signing the papers, the recruiter's like, oh, yeah, man, you qualify for a bonus. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it? And I'm thinking in my head, like, what is it, like a couple thousand dollars? Right, or something like that? He's right. like, yeah, it's, it's $40,000. Oh, oh. And wow. so, like, literally in one fell swoop, man, like, there you're, was the you're debt. You're debt-free. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you so you 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 go in that you go on that path. You go through basic, and then you go through the the uh, Green Beret School. Right. Yeah. You go through basic training. School. 
Uh, you go through two airborne school where you learn how to jump out of airplanes. Yeah. Um, and then you go out to North Carolina and you, uh, the first, the first step in the process for me, uh, was going through like, they call it, it's like a month long course for people. They back then they used to have a nickname for us called SF babies, special forces babies. Cause mm -hmm. we, we signed up off the street and we were, you know, little babies yeah, yeah. coming off the street. <laughs> right. And you know, we didn't have prior military experience. And so they, it was just kind of like a conditioning. It was kind of like a smoke fest, like get, get them in shape. Um, yeah. and beat them up a little bit, right. you know, uh, see if they can get through that part. And then we, they sent us to selection, which is where the big, the big phase where everybody from, from the army can sign up to try out, gotcha. um, uh, for special forces. And that's like, that was, they change the timeline often, but it's usually anywhere from two weeks to as long as four weeks. And they kind of change the intensity of certain aspects of it, depending on uh, time frame. Right. Um, and that's kind of the that's the first part of the weed out phase. And so got through that. And and then, yeah. Th and from there, it's there's like um, there's some tactics courses uh, that are kind of similar to Ranger School. Um, you learn a language. Uh, so my language was Korean. I did uh, language school for six months, and then my MOS was Special Forces Medic, and so that's a year-long school, uh, and I mean, I got to do a ton of different things in that. I mean, I've, I've, I've delivered a baby, I've wow. participated in C-sections, I've intubated people, uh, performed other surgeries on people, given people stitches, that kind of thing, uh, so I got to do some really cool stuff there, um, and then when I graduated the course in August of 2000. 10, I think it was, I got stationed at Fort Lewis and then we deployed to Afghanistan in early 2011. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So yeah, and then you did that for how long? How long were you uh, in the special forces? I was in, uh, special forces, uh, at regiment for about two years, two years, two and a half years. Um, did a year in Afghanistan, uh, came home after seeing war, um, decided like, I think I'm good on this. Yeah. Um, I think I, I it's, it's a very complicated process. I think uh, more, um, a lot more so than many Americans realize. Right. Um, it's it's very complex. It's a very complex thing. It's it cannot be simplified to just good and bad or like good and evil. I mean, right. I think there are evil things in it. And there are good things in it, but it's very convoluted. Do you mean in general? Or you mean in that specific arena? In general. Yeah. In general, I mean, even when you have, I mean, I don't know a ton about like world war two and like Nazi Germany and whatnot, but it c clearly that that was something that we needed to address in right. the world, obviously. But once you get down to the granular aspects of like various human lives and what, I mean, you could, I mean, you could literally have, you know, a German soldier with a wife and a, and, and young children and, you know, we're dropping bombs on their house or something like that. I, you know, right. like you can, there's lots of little incidents you can conceive of where innocent, innocent life is being taken on the quote unquote enemy side. Right. And, and people, you know, looking back in Nazi Germany, that soldier who just didn't know any better. Yep. Uh, you're, yep. You're, you're, this is what you do. You go. And who may, may have been forced into it. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, right, right. That. I mean, I definitely thought about that a lot when I was in Afghanistan and we were fighting, you know, Taliban forces. Um, you know, how many people, just have the Taliban ransack their village and saying, all your men are going to fight for us or we're going to behead all your wives and children right here in front of you. Right. So you're going to fight the Americans with us, yeah. whether you want to or not. Whether you want to or not. Right. And, and we're going to be in a clinch with you one day in a gunfight, and you're going to be fighting against the best, the strongest military force in the world. Right. And we're going to be taking your head off, man. Right. Because that's, I mean, we want to go home too. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's very complicated. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. So you leave there. 
uh, you, you decide that that's not for you anymore. And, right. and and at that point, I mean, you had to be just floating on a cloud when you walked around. I mean, you talk about overcoming things and right. accomplishment and things like that. I mean, was there a point where you where you kind of swayed the other way, where your ego got a little out of control, or were you always still pretty humble? No, I I think I I was if I was floating on a cloud, it was because I was getting my freedom back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for five and a half years. The army owned me. Right. And I did what they said do, and I went where they said go. Right. And so I was just, one, I was happy to come home. Right. Um, we lost two medics on that deployment uh, and uh, who were in my company, and they, they got hurt um, uh, helping people on the battlefield. Right. Uh, and uh, Or they died helping people on the battlefield. And so I, one, was just very happy uh, to be able to come home um, and call my mom and tell her, hey, I'm home healthy yeah i'm good to go right uh so that was like a huge relief uh and i had paid off all my debt at this point so i mean i i paid off all my debt before i left for afghanistan and so i was like i had a bunch of cash in the bank um and i said okay like what okay what's what's the next thing and i thought to myself well let's go try to be a personal trainer again right and so i get out and i stayed and i decided i wanted to stay here in tacoma because i just liked it up here and i started working for a local gym and for about two and a half, almost three years, I I was a trainer and a group fitness coach. And for the longest time, I thought that that would be the way that I would help people. And it really, like these other experiences, I knew they were valuable, but I just, I for some reason, I didn't feel like I had the, what's the word I'm looking for, the credibility to speak to those kind of things in people's life just yet, sure. you know, de- overcome depression and abuse and all those things. I was like, well, you know, I'm guess I'm the fitness guy, you know, because right. it, and I think I thought that way because that was kind of the apex story that started all this journey. H- had you me. in your own, in your own path, had you overcome those things? I mean, when you, when you enlisted, you were mm-hmm. depressed and mm-hmm. you were, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. f- you were, at, you know, in the, in the post school uh, depression Phase, and, yeah. and, and not your rudderless and not right. knowing what to make you happy. Did, did I mean, you, I had an engagement fall apart during that time. I mean, it was it, it was bad. crazy. It yeah. was rough. Yeah. So um, you're a guy who found a solution, but mm-hmm. did you find the solution for you, or did you just find a band aid to get you through the next five and a half years while you're in the army? I want to say it's probably a combination of both, Brian. I, I think. I think when you, um, I think when traumatic things happen to people. Some of it can be dealt with right away, mm-hmm. uh, and some of it takes maybe a, the rest of your life to right. get past, and every and then phases in between. Sure. Um, I think what the military gave me, uh, ultimately, that I would look back later on, uh, which kind of ties to the MMA stuff, is what I didn't realize going into the service, which is I think this is why the, the engagement to the young woman that I was engaged to marry, I think this is the primary reason it fell apart was... I didn't realize how much pent up aggression that I had inside of me from my childhood. Right. And when I got into the service, I, I had just learned as a kid, and this is the problem with not talking about some of the issues that people face in our world. As a kid, I had just learned to kind of mask my emotions and not, and just stuff it all down and just barrel ahead, keep, keep forging ahead. Uh, and when I got into the military, I realized the military gave me this aggressive outlet to just, I mean, I remember the first time shooting a 50 cal, it was like, oh man, like right. boom, 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 ah, you know, or right. jumping out of an airplane, like sure. the adrenaline rush. Uh, and when we did combatives, um, for the first time and, you know, we're kind of doing like jujitsu stuff and we're striking, mm-hmm. we're doing a little bit of boxing 
And there was just something in me that just absolutely loved it and, right. and felt such a, a calm afterwards, like a release. And, and so what was cool about the military is it gave me a visceral exit for that energy. And that was something that was tearing my relationships apart before yeah. coming into the services. I was just having these outbursts. And what I used to say is I went into the military with a, with, with, some PTSD that I didn't know was there. Right. And what the military actually did was calm me down, which is the kind of the inverse. Um, they should change their slogan. They should, they should be agree. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, PTSD, we can solve your problem. We problems. can solve your problem. Right. Right, right. We can help you out. Yeah. We can even they, you out. They need yeah. a good PR firm to put a spin on that. <laughs> right. And, and, and like kind of follow on afterwards. Um, when I was in the gym, what I began to notice was, I mean, it, the, these same problems that were playing out for me as an engineer, I was watching them play out for so many other people, so many of our clients, you know, frustrations right. with work, frustrations with relationships, money problems um, on top of health problems. Right. And and I'm saying to myself, like, man, I know I, I have been through some things. Well, what's what it's what I'm starting to realize you know, I was very, I'm still very interested in, you know, body mechanics and how the body moves, obviously still someone who is trying to pursue a, uh, you know, competition in a, in a octagon and be a fighter. Right. I'm still interested in those things. And, and so I was very focused on that for a little while because what I thought was it, maybe it's, maybe the whole weight loss thing is that people just don't know what to do. Right. Right. And if I can just tell them what to do, because I've been through that process, then they'll be good. So they won't have to go through all that trial and error that I went through as a kid. Sure. But at, when I looked around, I and, and as I thought about it more, and I thought about my own story more, I said to myself, this isn't about, this isn't about knowing what to do. I mean, I knew what to do when I was 14 years old. I knew, like, eating a box of Pop-Tarts probably wasn't the answer right. to me losing yeah. weight. But why was I eating the Pop-Tarts? Oh, well, sugar makes dopamine release in the brain and it makes you feel makes good. Makes you feel good, right? Right. When you feel like crap, it makes you feel good. Right. And maybe this person can't put is is drinking that half a, a 12 pack of beer at night every night because they just don't feel good because right. I don't know, marital problems, problems with kids. I like I've the number of times, Brian, I've talked to somebody who just didn't like their job. Right. And just couldn't stand it but been doing it for a decade, two decades. Right. And we're trying to fix it with push-ups. Yeah. Which, it's important to move your body. That's absolutely a part yeah. of what got it, me it, going again. It's a fix, but it's not the fix. Yeah, it's not the fix. Right. Like, you got to face that mountain, man. Like, if 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 it's debt, I mean, debt is another big one that, sure. I talk, that I end up talking to people about a lot. It's And what, what I realize with people is they just don't want to face, and with that, with the money thing, people don't want to say, I made some mistakes. Right. And they've gotten me in a position that really, really doesn't feel good and really, really makes me anxious and worried about the future. Like people don't want to admit that reality. Right. And face that mountain, so to speak. And so I just started to realize, like, I like I could keep doing this fitness thing. And I got a cool story. And fat kid becomes Green Beret, man. Like, right. You know, I could make one of those, you know, push up things yeah. like the Navy SEAL guy yeah, did absolutely. and try to sell millions of them because I got a cool story to put right. with it. Right. Right. Like, right. But I said, no, that's not the that's not the answer here. Like, 
if, if we're going to knock down big barriers and barriers in life, you kind of need some psychological tools. And I thought to myself, maybe I've developed some and maybe I need to start working on pulling them out of my brain. Right. And so I, I started putting videos on YouTube about uh, about four years ago um, because I just was I just said to myself, let's try to start articulating these stories. Let's just try to start telling the stories and telling some principles that I've learned from the stories and put it out there and see what happens. Like I didn't really have a, I, I, I knew I had some communication abilities um, inherently, but I didn't really know where it could lead to or how it would evolve. I just right. said, let's go and just see what happens. Cause it's a low cost experiment, right? right. YouTube's free, I could shoot a video on my phone. Right. And I uh, started doing that and eventually, I remember the first time I spoke, you know, as the, the first time I spoke as a speaker was um, at, at the gym, at, at uh, the gym I had been a, a trainer at, Tacoma Strength and Conditioning. And they asked me to just come in and do something like on motivation because they saw me, you know, the owners there saw I was putting out these YouTube videos. Right. I said, okay, yeah, sure. And I came and I did it and, you know, maybe about 10 people were there from the, from the gym and people liked it and enjoyed it. And I, and I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed being able to relate and tell that story. Sure. Um, and, and so I said, okay, let's, let's keep going with this. And just, you know, word of mouth, other people would hear that I speak and say, hey, would you come speak to these kids, so on and so forth. Sure. And over time, I've gotten better at whittling down principles and ideas, so on and so forth, and being able to just kind of convey the underlying principles from my story that I think can apply to any challenge that right. someone's trying to take on. So, so talk to us about some of those. So what, what, what are the... Uh, um well, first of all, let, let's. Let, I skipped one thing here. So, when, who do you think your message is for? I mean, uh, who, who are you talking to? You do, we're doing this. You've done a couple hundred of these speeches now, yeah. and things mm -hmm. like that now. And and uh, you know, who who are you trying to talk to, or who do you think you who do you think you resonate with? Boldly and audaciously, from what I've seen in my audiences and the feedback I've gotten from people, I think my message is for every human being walking the planet. Awesome. Um, I think. Life is inherently filled with challenges. And every single one of us is going to face depression. Every single one of us is going to face the death of a family member or, or our own mortality at some point, obviously. Right. Um, every single one of us is going to, you know, the, the number of people who are going to, who struggle with financial challenges. I mean, I think about um, kids graduating college nowadays and, you know, the student loan debt problem. Uh, I think about the way the story of the American dream is transforming, uh, at this, you know, at this time, I mean, it used to be, you know, in my parents era, them growing up in the fifties and sixties, what, what I did getting, getting a job as an engineer with a big international company, like that's, that's probably what they felt like success was. Right. Right. And, you know, you get the pension and now you can get the house and you have the two kids in the yard and all those different things. Right. Um, and the ability to have life kind of smack you in the face and say, hey, that thought you had, wrong. Right. Okay, now what are you going to do? How, how are you going to recover now? Um, I think everyone at every phase of life is going to face some kind of paradigm shift. And the ability to do what I call holding your stories with an open hand, holding your ideas, expectations, assumptions about life with an open hand, and letting the facts inform how you view life and then being able to just move forward from there. Um, I think everybody needs those skills in life in order to not get bogged down in, in 
the the less desirable emotions that we experience in this world. Sure. You know? Uh, and so that's, you know, I've, I've had people, um, I used to do an, a workshop for entrepreneurs at UWT, uh, people who wanted to be entrepreneurs and it was open to staff. It was open to the community. It was open to students. Never did get a lot of attendance, but, um, I had people in there who, I, who were as old as, uh, in their seventies, uh, as young as, um, you know, 17, 18 years old, male, female of all different races. There's actually a video on my YouTube channel um, of, of one of the workshops. And that day, there didn't happen to be, uh, I think there was only one young lady there that day. But the rest of the audience was maybe like 12 other people. And I mean, black, white, older, younger, males in the room, just all these diff- different demographics. And I think the reason I'm able to connect with so many different groups of people is one, the diversity of experience that I have. Right. But the things that I'm talking about, I think relate to everybody. Um, right. And I think that's why people connect with. So, so let's get to the nuts and bolts of it then. Okay. So what, what, when people are facing whatever it is, uh, uh, financial hardships, crushing debt, um, the over, you know, in the last podcast last week, we were talking about business owners that they things um, just become so overwhelming. There's a mm-hmm. million things to do and there's only 24 hours in a day and you got a family and you yep. got kids and you yep. got a, a spouse and you got obligations at work and you got, you know, there's a, there's a no shortage of things to do. Right. Yep. And quite frankly, people get paralyzed with that and they just right. don't do anything. Right. Absolutely. So, yep. so, so what are, what are the things that, that you, you teach folks to do to, to get through all those kinds of scenarios? I think very, very simply, my philosophy is based on the idea of, of, one, I think the thing that we all want and the thing that we all connect with is a sense of freedom. We, we want a sense that we are free and, and we have control over our lives. Right. Um, that we are, you know, uh, moving in a direction that we want to go, that we're adding value to the world, so on and so forth. Uh, when I did uh, TEDx Tacoma, I, one of the things I said in, in that uh, talk was, you know, we want the freedom of a healthy body. We want financial freedom. Uh, we want the freedom, and I'm still refining this portion, but I think we, we all, in terms of relationships with other human beings, we want the freedom to be ourselves right. and feel like it's okay to be ourselves in that regard. And then finally, I think we, in terms of work or the thing that we do with most of our time or the, the things that we do to serve others, we want to do something that's meaningful to us. We want it to be a win-win. I want to add value to you, but I want it to be something that I actually want to do right as well um now that is not the pursuit of perpetual happiness or uh you know perpetual euphoria but it's it's the sense that i control my destiny uh in some regard i think everybody wants freedom and to me there are three principles that have always popped up in my life with these various scenarios and that i think i see pop up in the lives of other people who have overcome challenges and it's taking ownership it's focusing on doing fundamental task well, and it's the willingness to fail. And ownership is about controlling what you can control. Fundamentals, so in the case of that entrepreneur or that small business owner that's got all these tasks and all these different things, they've got family and all these different things they gotta gotta got to do, and right. there's only so much time, right? One has to get clear on what do you want the future to look like. And it seems, and, it's, and I mean, it's been said a lot. It's been said a ton having a vision for your right. life. And what I, what I try to do with people is let's get organized here. Let's break this down. So the reason I talk about freedom of health, uh, free financial freedom, freedom in your relationships and freedom of work is 
to me, that's like those are the fundamental core areas of life. You got work, you got dealing with other people, you got money, and you got your health. Like right. to me, any challenge that we have or any of the issues that we have can probably be grouped into one of or multiple of those categories. Right. And so write those four things down and in 10 years say what you want each one to look like. How do you want your body to feel? What do you want to be able to do with your body? What do you want your money to look like? What kind of financial freedom do you want? Um, what relation, What do you want in your relationships, your current relationships? How do you want to, them to have evolved in that time span? And then what kind of work do you envision yourself doing? So I give myself a point. And what I call this, um, I was talking to somebody else about this last week. Um, I call this kind of like, a, I use the map of life analogy. So when I was in the, the we call it the Q course, the Special Forces Qualification course uh, in the Army, there, there are, um, comp- and people in the infantry, most people in the military uh, do some form of land navigation uh, training when you're in the military. And so, you know, you have a compass and a map. Uh, so not a GPS, you know, not any, any electronic devices, you mm-hmm. know, so it's, you got a lensetic compass and you got a map and you got to navigate from point A to point B, yada, yada, yada. One of the worst things to experience when you are in the middle of the woods with your map and compass is to kind of be in the middle of the night. You know, it's pitch black dark outside and you're looking at your map and you're kind of assessing the terrain and you realize, oh man, I don't know where I am on the map. Right. I have no clue where I am. This, this land feature that's in front of me right now, that's not where I'm supposed to be. Right. Where am I? I don't know. Because it, it almost renders the map useless, right? And mm-hmm. so what you're hoping for at that point is I kind of got to – I either got to just kind of sit here and hope somebody finds me or I gotta, just got to walk until I hit something that is, that is undeniably recognizable on the map. Right. And I've, like, I've been in this scenario before. Um, and you kind of look at the map and, you, and you're walking, 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 and you don't know where you are. And then eventually you hit – I hit this intersection of this road that's like way, 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 way away from where I'm supposed to be. Right. Um, and so that's kind of like I look up on that. Right. Yeah. Well, this is similar. If I'm going, 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 going in life and I haven't taken the time and it seems so trite and so simple to a lot of people. And the reason it seems that way is because it doesn't immediately fix things. But if I haven't taken to the time to specifically articulate where I'm going, there are so many distractions, they'll pull me all over the place. And eventually I don't know where I am on the map. Right. And so we kind of go through life with this hope that somehow I'm going to end up where I want to be when I haven't spent any time being intentional about it. Right. And one of the things I see with with um, um, that that that's a great analogy of what of what everyday life is like for, for people, especially running a business or just in life. Yeah. I, I see, including myself for, um, I'll identify these things and I'll be heading down a path. And then all of a sudden, you know, a mile and a half down the path on this hypothetical map, I go, well, what if I'm going the wrong way? And then I, and I convince myself I'm heading the wrong way. And then I turn around and head the other way. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and yeah. then I do that for a while. And then I go, man, well, this doesn't feel right either. And, and I'm not sure. And I'm, all that self-doubt and, yeah. and, and not sure. And then I, and pretty soon you find yourself just pacing off miles back and forth on this map and not getting anywhere. Right, right. And so the thing, the thing about it is, is when, we, when you're doing real live land navigation, 
you've got a pace count in your head so that you know kind of approximately what distance you're covering. You're checking your compass and you're checking your map periodically to see where you are. And you're doing that. And you're also checking it against the terrain features that you think you should come across. Right. But inevitably, there are little rabbit trails on the map that don't actually exist on the ground in real life. Like the map is never fully accurate. Right. And so there's a measure of, of, of trust and there's a measure of kind of looking up and being aware of your surroundings as well. And, you know, some, and so kind of to, to pull another analogy, one, one of the things we used to say about when we were training for getting ready to go off to combat is you, you, you have to, if, if you're, if you're walking through enemy territory and suddenly you start taking fire, you can't, if you get paralyzed and just stand there, you're going to get shredded to pieces. Right. You're going to get annihilated. Mm-hmm. Now, if you just make a decision and, oh, man, maybe we, we should have gone over there when we went over here. But if you made a decision, you're still alive. Right. Right. Maybe it wasn't the perfect decision, but at least you're still alive to right. make a, to update and improve that decision, right. which is where the failure piece comes in. I've taken ownership of my life. Fundamentally, I've organized myself into where I want to go to. And now I'm going to iterate against that vision. And I get down the road and I realize, you know what? Maybe this isn't right. Maybe maybe Travis shouldn't be a personal trainer. Well, what should I do? I used to, what's ironic about me being a speaker, Brian, and my life is full of paradox, is I used to wonder, especially after I lost all the weight, like why would... Why would anybody need a motivational speaker? Why would you need somebody to like talk you in like I never understood that. Right. Like why would anybody need to listen to that? Like right. can't you just get yourself going? <laughs> yeah, right. Right? And, and but and and what's also ironic about what I do now and I'm I'm still an introvert. I grew up an introvert. I grew up not wanting to talk, not wanting to say anything, not wanting to certainly not want to be in front of a crowd or group of people. Right. Now I'm I'm totally at home in that environment and in right. that space. It's a it's a ability that I never would have thought that I would have had or possessed. Sure, but I wouldn't have found that out if I wasn't willing to fail. Right, and kind of see what was inside of me running. And, and I and I call it failure, but it's more like an experiment to me. You got to be willing to experiment and t- taste test stuff because you got you know yeah you create your vision. But none of us, none of us knows. Like, I never wrote down that I wanted to be a motivational speaker. Like, I didn't write that down 10 years ago. I wanted to own a gym. Right. But as I worked against that vision, I realized some other things about myself. And then I had to update. Right. And that's the whole map checking. Now, it's, they're, they're, they're different concepts because the landscape is what it is. If I'm navigating the woods, it is what it is. The map of life, and I'm doing air quotes because we're, yeah. for the podcast <laughs> listeners. The map of life is not a tangible thing. You right. Know, we can't, no one can predict the future. But if you don't give yourself some kind of aim, well, then the world and culture and any number of right. external things is going to give it for you. Yeah, right. And, and you and I talked about this before. If, if you at least have identified a goal and you can at least identify what that looks like, smells like, feels like, mm-hmm. tastes like, all that good stuff, um, as you go along, things are going to change. But if you don't have that, you're essentially rudderless. Right. And when exactly. you're when you're rudderless, you're just kind of at the whim of whatever the current that comes along. Exactly. And whatever yeah. feels good in the moment. And, you know, bad news, whatever feels good in the moment isn't generally good for you long term. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're you're kind of your emotions control you. Right. And I used to tell the 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 group of entrepreneurs that I was talking to at UWT on a regular basis, I said, 
look, my emotions about my business can, I mean, they can change within the same 60 second time frame. Right. I mean, I can feel on top of the world in one regard and then kind of look at my bank account, my business account balance and be like, right. Like, why am I doing this? It, all within five minutes right. of each other. So if I went purely off of my emotions, I'd be nowhere. Right. Um, you know, but it's the ability to do, man, I think it's the ability in anything in life, the ability to do when you don't feel like it. Right. When you don't want to. Right. If you can master that skill, man, you can accomplish damn near. Right. 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 So, so we've got the, we got the vision. The, step one is identifying the vision. Yeah. Well, step one is taking ownership yeah. and figuring out that you need to do this. Yes. Right. Yeah. So that, that's, that's first. And then step two is then the ownership or the, or developing the vision mm-hmm. and figuring out what the, what the end point looks like. What's, what's, where's the finish line of, right. this, of this marathon in life or this business or whatever. And then you mentioned the fundamentals. Yeah. And uh, uh, talk to us about that real briefly. About what what the what, what what's that mean when you talk about you know mastering the fundamentals or whatnot? So practically, like when if I think about an individual human life, right? Uh, and we talked about I used to, I call it four core areas of life. So there's uh, money, um, there's your health, and when I say health, again we're talking about what we can control because we're taking ownership. So primarily that's eating and exercising. Um, but it's other other things too, you know, picking work that you actually like so you can mitigate stress, yada, yada, yada. Uh, then there's, you know, finances. In, in mo- the modern world, having control, having economic control and economic power, I mean, it reduces stress. Right. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. So doing something simple like starting with a budget to know where your money's going thinking about a plan for the future. How am I, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, like I'm working on other streams of income to accelerate my saving to to ensure that certain things happen in my financial future. Right. Um, And I can't control everything, but there are things that I can proactively do. Um, You know, relationships, this is a little bit tougher because you can't control other human beings. But being intentional about communicating who you are to other people, right. being intentional about thinking about where you want to go and and being honest about that with those around you so you can, you know, congregate with like minded individuals, so on and so forth. And for work, choosing today to take proactive steps if, you, if you're not in that work, to move towards the work you want to do. And if you're in the work, how do I update, improve? Is it time to pivot into something else? So on and so forth. So that's kind of like a practically how that might work for an individual. But then thinking about it on a more macro scale in terms of a, a f- focus on the fundamentals as a principle. Um, I, I have this speech uh, uh, called Fundamentals Win Fights. And this was something that was outlined to me um, it was something that I was that I think I was always doing, but it was really highlighted when I was in the army. Um, and this instructor helped helped me understand it. It was a medic instructor uh, that I had when I was in the medic course in the military, and he said something to me that I, I'll never forget this statement. He said, "The only difference between a special forces soldier and a regular soldier is not space age technology or superhuman strength. It's the fact that a special forces soldier does basic soldiering tasks exceptionally well." And that a light bulb went on in my head when he said that, because at this point I'm about like a year and a half into the course. I'm, I, I know I'm going to finish it. I know I'm going to be fine. Right. Versus like kind of the fear and anxiety that I had ahead of time in terms of would I be able to do this? Um, but I'm going to give it a try anyway. Cause again, failure is one of my principles. If you fail, you fail, but you'll learn. Right. right. 
And at this point, what I realized, what he was saying was, Brian, all it was was going to sleep at night, exercising, not drinking and, you know, getting drunk every weekend. Right. Um, staying, staying away from certain types of women. Right. Um, you know, packing your rucksack well, having your equipment, showing up to places on time, studying. Right. It was just fundamental, simple task and done over and over and over and over and over again. I graduated in the top 20% of my class at Green Berets. Right. It was the same thing in college. I, I actually started behind the rest of my peers uh, in engineering, but it was the same thing. I studied on the weekend. I stayed away from partying. I, I read. I went to the teacher's office when I didn't understand things. Right. I reread things. I, I just grinded away at some simple, basic habits, and ultimately that led me to doing well and graduating with honors with my engineering degree. Right. And, you know, and the other thing, uh, to kind of bring things back around full circle, and we, we got to wrap things up here in a minute, but mm -hmm. um, having that vision of, of what you want and, and all that stuff and understanding yes. why you want it. Exactly. That will help motivate you in those days you don't feel like doing anything. Absolutely. And when it's time to get up and go to work on, you know, Saturday morning at 5 a.m. or, or staying until 7 o'clock at night instead of going and doing something that would be fun. Absolutely. You got you to gotta have a reason to, to remind yourself why you're doing right. that. I, I remember um, back when I was, I worked in the steel business and I was just a regular employee running a huge machine that stamped out whatever it stamped out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided I wanted to do a major upgrade on a, on a motorcycle I had. Yeah. And it was going to cost like $7,000. That was a monumental amount of money to me back then. Right, at that time, yeah. But we were coming into a time where we were going to be having a lot of overtime and things like that. And yeah. I, I literally on my locker at work, right, which was right by my workstation, I put a picture of what this thing would look like when it was done. And all those days I was working hours 9 through 12 instead of leaving at 8 o'clock when all the, or leaving after 8 hours like everybody else. Right. I, I would walk by that thing 30 times in, in those four hours as I traversed back and forth this machine, exactly. big machine I was running. Yep. And it just kept me reminded mm -hmm. that, okay, yeah, this sucks right now, but here's what you're going to get for it. Right. And I think that that, you know, that, that vision that you were talking about crafting and, and having that visual or whatever it is to, to show, hey, what this would look like in – the four key areas. Right. Um, I think that's important just as a, as a, re a motivator for in those moments when you just don't feel like doing it. And uh, it'd be much easier just to not. And then, you know, you, one day of not doing it leads to the second day of not doing it leads to another day. And then pretty soon you've got six months of doing nothing. Right. And now you're just pissed and resentful with yourself. And exactly. And, and, and now we're back to being rudderless again. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, the you know, the focusing on the, uh, the fundamentals is just, I think, just training yourself to get up and grind when, if you leave it up to your own devices of doing it, you won't. But if it just becomes a habit, you don't have a choice. Yeah, anymore, right. Yeah, and, you know, it's, and like and like you said, that, that vision piece is it's it's just a tool. It right. helps con it helps you contextualize why you're going through the challenge, why you're enduring um, the difficult right. parts of it. Right. Right. Well, hey, for those of you listening, uh, I can tell you from personal experience, Travis is a fantastic speaker. If you're looking for somebody to speak at a gig, you guys have That's coming up, right? A, <laughs> a meeting or an event or something like that. He's a he's a great guy. Does a great job. Um, super cool story. He only got into a, a piece of it today. We didn't even talk about how do you learn how to swim, which is a fantastic story. <laughs> and uh, he's a great guy. He's a great speaker. So if you're looking for somebody to help you with that kind of thing, again, reach out at travisdagle.com. D-A-I-G-L-E is how you spell Daigle. Travisdagle.com or travis at travisdagle.com. Travis, I really appreciate you coming in. Thanks for this having me, This is a blast. Brian. I knew it would be. Thanks a lot for coming in. I really appreciate it. And for those of all of you listening out there, 
Uh, next week, we're going to have on Devin Craig, author of the book Super Manager, and he's going to talk about how to create the best culture for your company. So uh, thanks again to Travis. That's all for today, and I'll talk to you all next week.